Well, good afternoon, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, live from Maui, Hawaii. My name is Michael Benner, and it's a pleasure, as always, to be with you today with this mystery school. Mystery schools have existed from the beginning of time, especially in Western civilization, um, in ancient Egypt, uh, in the area now generally known as the Middle East, uh, throughout Europe, especially the Greco-Roman empires, there were always mystery schools. This was long before the establishment of universities. This is like that. A so-called invisible college, except we're becoming more visible now. It's not a secret anymore. Uh, we can come out. We don't have to be worried about... Uh, being uh, uh, pilloried or stretched on the rack or waterboarded by the Inquisition, uh, we can come out and talk about our shared philosophies and our mutual longing to understand ourselves better, to, like a plant, a flower, turn to the sun and follow it across the sky as if seeking knowledge of the source of life. We all have that longing within us to understand life better, to know ourselves better, to discover more about the essence of who we really are and what we're really for. So <clears throat> that's that's what mystery schools have always been about. And that's what this one's about. So we've moved to the internet and we're coming out of the closet so to speak. There is such a thing as a perennial philosophy and ageless wisdom esoteric philosophy. It's looking at life metaphorically and allegorically and building upon the marvelous philosophies of the women and men who have come before us and who have written such enlightening and inspiring prose and poetry. That's what we're really all about. Seeking to know the best in ourselves so that we can see the best in other people. Our topic today in the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School is personal security. Is there such a thing? In the newsletter this week, I included a quote by H.L. Mencken, a uh, newspaperman from about 100 years ago, not unlike Mark Twain or Will Rogers. And the quotation from Mencken that I included uh, was, I don't have it in front of me, but I can paraphrase it. People don't really want to be free. I think he says men. Men don't, he means people. Men don't really want to be free. What they want is to be safe. A fellow that I was able to interview a few years ago in KPFK in Los Angeles, and for whom I have a lot of respect, the author Richard Bach, you probably know him from Jonathan Livingston Seagull and Illusions, the uh, Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah, or Confessions of a Reluctant Messiah, Illusions, the Blue Feather. Uh, Richard Bach also wrote a book called Running from Safety, which is a book about taking the risks necessary to find a true level of safety. You have to run away from the appearance of safety to find real personal security. 
because when we look for personal security in the obvious places, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it at all. And I, I'm going to tell you what I what I mean by this. We'll talk a little about real safety and, and the dead ends that we move down before we find out they're dead ends in an attempt to find some kind of safety in life. All right. So it's a little paradoxical, but that's where we tend to find truth anyway is in the paradoxes. There is in Washington an institution called the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. You ever heard of that? Excuse me while I have a little sip here of my tea. Securities and Exchange. This was before the Reagan, um, <laughs> the Freudian slip, before the Bush era, but I could have said as well before Reagan. Less and less in the last 25 years have we had the kind of oversight and transparency and accountability that agencies like the Securities and Exchange Commission provided. And it's been our undoing. It's the reason that our securities are not very secure. So where is the security in having a lot of stocks and bonds and taking your pension, for example, and saying to the union, I'm on board with you guys investing all of this pension money into the stock market and buy securities, bonds, mutual funds, which are a blend of bonds and some pretty safe stocks, or some people even buy risky stocks and speculate. Uh, highly speculative stocks in, in hopes that that will grow their money, but it's not very safe. Right? It's like saying, I'm going to invest all my money in Las Vegas. <laughs> A year ago, that allegory probably wouldn't have met with uh, much receptivity, but today you know exactly what I'm talking about. Wall Street is like Vegas, only it's probably even more rigged than Vegas, in other words, it favors the house, right? No casino in Las Vegas loses money. What we're seeing in the world right now is a poker game where everybody's been cleaned out. One guy at the table has all the money, and the game is over. There's, you know, there's no more money. We can't play another hand. There's nothing else to do. You got all of our money. And that's exactly where we are today, teetering on the brink of economic collapse, not just this country, but so much of the world. It varies, the financial security, in here we are, March 1st of 2009, but it's pretty risky. Those of you who are listening now from the future have a much better idea than we do what actually happened and how this story plays out. But my point is, where we stand right now, March 1st, 2009, uh, gosh, the idea of security in stocks and bonds, the Securities and Exchange Commission, money in the bank is security. Well, no, it's not, because the bank can collapse. 
I mean, we we have insurance. We have the FDIC. They just raised the limit from 100k to 250 thousand dollars. So that money is insured by the government, right? And we certainly have the detractors that are saying, "Wait a minute! This is socialism. This is communism. This is this is worse than that." Maybe they're going to nationalize or federalize the banks, and we'll have socialism. Well, we already have that. (laughs) We have the bailout. And instead of using that $350 billion of taxpayer money to make loans to people who need them, what did the banks do? They bought more banks. The only thing they know to do is big fish eats small fish, and then the bigger fish comes along and eats that fish, you know. That's the situation we're in. A similar argument can be made for the idea of national security. National security to most people means the military. It means guns and bombs and nuclear weapons that you can never use. Because if you use them, everybody's going to die. So you cannot win a nuclear war. It's a little strange. 20 years ago, in the 1980s, and certainly before that, even back to the early days of the very first nuclear weapons after World War II in the 1940s and 50s, there was more awareness than there is today of the insanity posed by the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Now, we're in 2009, few people even think about the danger posed by nuclear weapons. And yet, Pakistan has nuclear weapons. Where's Osama bin Laden? Where's the Taliban? In Pakistan. But wait, you just said they have nuclear weapons. Yeah. Well, Who are they afraid of? Who don't they trust? Who are they in conflict with? The Western world? Well, yeah, but particularly India. India? Wait a minute. Don't they have nuclear weapons? Pakistan has nukes. India has nukes. Israel has nuclear weapons. South Africa has nuclear weapons. And it looks like Iran is moving toward nuclear weapons. North Korea already has nuclear weapons. Wait a minute. The proliferation of nuclear weapons has never been more widespread. And the situation never more precarious. And yet we refer to the existence of these weapons as if they're part of some sort of national security. National security in bombs and guns and weapons Increasingly, even the military is saying about Iraq and Afghanistan that war doesn't work. That that national security based on war is about occupying land or or territory and then holding that land even if you have to kill people. The object of war has never been to kill people. <laughs> the object of war from time on to mind is to control land and other resources. 
and the means to that involves killing people. Well, now we're in a situation in Iraq, in Afghanistan, where it's not about controlling land so much as about a war against terror, a war against a tactic, a war against a mindset. And yet the more of the enemy that are killed, the more that mindset proliferates. So not only is war ineffective, it is now counterproductive. War makes things worse. So the war on terror has done nothing but increase levels of terror in the world. And that makes perfect sense if you understand fear and the continuum between fear and love. To fight terror by being terrible and terrorizing others with torture and war in general cannot create any kind of security. All right. You cannot defeat fear with fear. You cannot defeat hatred with hatred. You cannot defeat evil by behaving just like the enemy and being evil. You see, torturing people, uh, Abu Ghraib, uh, torturing people in Gitmo, uh, suspending habeas corpus, uh, wiretapping all Americans. This is not a way to promote freedom overseas or even ensure our freedom here at home. So the whole idea of national security is as crazy as financial security, and yet that's what most people want. They want to be cared for by money and violence. Think about it. That's our hope, is to have enough money and to have a strong enough military that we will be safe, that money will make us safe and war will make us safe. And clearly, <laughs> in March of 2009, here we are, March 1st, 2009, I'm not finding any safety in money, in the markets, in financial security of the banks, and the Securities and Exchange Commission, and I sure don't find any security in killing terrorists and breaking the hearts of those people's families such that their children grow up to want to be just like that, right? And extract a price from those Western people that killed my father, right? We need to ask ourselves if we really want to confront terrorism why are they so upset at us? What did we do wrong? And how can we address those grievances? And that is just so anathema to the right wing in this country. You know, the idea that we could, you know, that we're not the good guys purely and they're the bad guys purely, that there's a lot of blame to go around and that we really need to meet in the middle, Right? Uh, Israel has to create some justice in the Middle East and stop occupying Palestine and repressing Palestinians. And you can say, yeah, but they're bombing Israel. And, well, yeah, Israel's killing them, and they're at war. But no justice, no peace. You ever been to an anti-war rally? That's, <laughs> that's the lesson you walk away with. No justice, 
no peace. You want peace? You want to end the war? You have to work for justice, not to win the war. Right? You have to work for justice to eradicate the unjust or unjust conditions that created war. Now there is a path to security. And as far as money in the bank, finding security in that, maybe it's our ability to provide a service or a product that people really need that creates security, rather than holding on to what you've already got, holding on to your goods, your property, your stuff, holding on to money, and then uh, as a hedge against inflation, you've got to give it to somebody, we call that investing, so they can recycle it and do something with it and share a little bit of their profit with us. That's called interest on your investment. Because if I just hold on to it, inflation will erode its value. Well, that ought to tell you as a, as a student of philosophy right off the bat that money is not real. If <laughs> If its value is perpetually eroding, if it's in constant decay, how real could it be? How could something be real and substantial and always be less than what it was just a moment earlier? You know, And the hedge, the idea of making money, you can see where it's gotten us. The whole game had to collapse. Like one big pyramid scheme. That's Wall Street. One big Ponzi scheme. Bernie Madoff isn't the only guy who made off with all of the money. <laughs> and don't be confused. There's this the same amount of money and stuff and resources in the world now as there was a year ago or ten years ago or twenty years ago or a thousand years ago, and maybe even more. Right? It's just you're not going to find any security in holding on to money or investing money. There is no security in that, and there is no security in war and violence. Bombs and guns or abusing people at home. It even begs the question, you know, how can we stop injustice and war in the world if we still abuse our children and men and women are abusive to each other in the marriages, the people we love the most? We're still abusing each other. What are the chances if we can't stop doing that and beating up the kids? Or even ignoring your children is child abuse. If we can't do that at home, then how can we do it in the world? And yet that's what I'm talking about. This is where we find real security. The very word secure or security has its derivation in words that mean take care of yourself. That's what security is. Take care of yourself. Sounds a little selfish at first, doesn't it? It doesn't mean take care of yourself only or you and yours to the exclusion of all others. It says this is where you begin. That all security begins with personal security. You have to feel safe in this world before you can do anything to help other people feel safe. You must learn to feel safe within the confines of your body, your physical body. Feel safe in your skin and in your home, 
your family, in your environment before you can help other people. But you can't do anything for other people that you're unable or unwilling to do for yourself. I mean, what kind of mountain guide is going to stay at the bottom of the mountain and point the way? You've got to climb the mountain ahead of the people that you're guiding, right? (laughs) You've got to do for yourself so that you have something to give to others. So many people reverse that. I've dealt with scores of people who've come to me over the years for private counseling or telephone counseling around career and who've had pretty much the same story, which is, well, I don't like my job. I've never really had a career per se. I don't really know what I want to do when I grow up. This person might be in their 30s or 40s or even 50s, and they don't know what they want to do when they grow up. But the uh, they'll often say to me, but one thing I do know, Michael, is that I want to help other people. I do know. I'm, I'm sensitive, and I always, you know, um, affirm that or confirm that for them, tell them that that's a great thing, that they're aware that they want to help other people. Hold on a sec here. It's hard to teach and drink your tea at the same time, but I hope you don't mind. And then I remind them, look, it's a beautiful thing that you want to help other people, but help them do what? Oh, it doesn't matter, they'll often say. As long as I'm of, of, of... at the end of the day, able to go home with that wonderful feeling in my heart that I really was able to do something for somebody else. And I say, I understand that. That's that. I hear that. That's wonderful. That's far out. You're on. You're on mark, right? But let's be a little more specific. Just what is it you want to do for those people? Oh well, that's why I'm coming to you to help me figure that out. And that's the order. It's not enough to know that you want to be a person of significance, that you want to help other people, even in the most general way, like our topic today, to help other people feel safe in the world is a beautiful calling. Imagine if you could do that. What do you do for a living? I help people feel safe. Wow, do you really? Yeah. Well, how do you do that? Somebody who really is helping other people feel safe could tell you. But before they did, I think they would probably say, well, I do many things to help people feel safe, but it all begins with myself feeling safe. For I cannot do for another anything that I'm incapable of doing for myself. And so first, I must feel safe. Personal security, that's our theme of the day today. Personal self-care, that's what security means, self-care. So to talk about financial security is a conflict of terms. Financial self-care or national security, war to take care of yourself, you see. It gets all mixed up. It. It overlooks the fact that the very word secure means 
you are secure to care for yourself. And we've got it all turned around. We came across another word like that not long ago, uh, uh, self-conscious. Self-conscious for hundreds of years meant to be aware of yourself, to be conscious of who you are and what you're for. <laughs> Somehow over the years, the meaning devolved, and now, today, self-conscious means to be concerned about what other people think of you. <laughs> you know, people will say, uh, well, you don't need to be so self-conscious, so concerned about what other people think of you. Well, that's a crazy meaning for self-conscious, if self-conscious originally meant to be aware, <laughs> to be conscious of the self. <laughs> no, excuse me. You understand what I'm saying? How... how twisted the language gets. Play around with that self-conscious. If to be self-conscious is to be excessively reliant upon what other people think of you, then what do you call being aware of who you are and what you're for? Remembering what you care about and what's important to you, what your values are and your ethics and your mores and, 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 and morals and did I say values? I think so. That's what self-conscious primarily means, not worry. And, and isn't it interesting? The more you know yourself, the less it matters what other people think. <laughs> so the more, the more that you are truly self-conscious, aware of self, the less it matters what other people think, which has become, unfortunately, the definition of self-conscious. Well, you... You're too self-conscious, you care too much what other people think of you. Well, that's only because you don't know yourself that you're relying on what other people think of you. We have the same kind of twisted, inside-out, upside-down jabberwocky with this whole idea of security, that I'm going to hire somebody to make me secure. I'm going to hire a broker, a financial guy, to buy some security for me. And uh, I'm going to pay uh, an exorbitant sum, a, a, a hugely disproportionate amount of my taxes uh, to go to war, as if I'll find some kind of security in so-called national security, when in fact it destabilizes us. And you've seen what's happened to America's image in the world. Um, Thought we were fighting bad guys. Thought we were fighting terrorists. Thought we were promoting freedom in the world. So why is terrorism growing and our influence as Americans diminishing in the world? Because we bought into the lie that security can be found in money and violence. There is no security in money and violence. I won't argue that they may be needed or even appropriate in certain cases. I'll let other people do that in their podcasts and their webinars. Uh, granted, we need money, and it's arguable that sometimes you have to assert yourself and be violent. Right? I won't even debate that with you. My point is simply that security begins at home. And the very word secure is self-care. So where do we find it? Well, I, 
think the most important concept that I can share with you at this point has to do with the nature of the amygdala, an area of the brain that is responsible for finding danger to help you survive. It's an early warning system, this amygdala, and it chokes off higher brain functions whenever it perceives a potential for danger. Anytime we're anxious or nervous and experiencing confusion and don't know what to do, the brain, a specific area of the brain, the amygdala, will change the whole brain chemistry so that higher brain functions to be reasonable, to be logical, to use common sense, that's a higher brain function, to be sensitive to your emotions, to be compassionate, to be empathetic, all of that is lost and replaced by an either-or mentality. You're either with me or against me. Nothing in the middle. Shoot first. We'll ask questions later. Kill them all. Let God sort them out. Right? Completely reactionary. That's the way animals behave. And it even gives a bad rap to the animals to say so, but it's instinctual behavior. And while that may be needed in certain rare instances, come on. The truth is you're not in that much danger. You're worried about 3,000 people killed on 9-11 and terrorists coming to get you when you drive on the freeway where there are 3,000 people killed in a month in this country alone? More people die on the freeway every month than were killed in 9-11. And you're more worried about the terrorist than being killed on the freeway and you drive with your knees and talk on the cell phone and shave and apply makeup while you're going down the freeway? We're all mixed up. Somebody has misled us when it comes to the use of danger and more to the point the use of fear to control or at least influence your behavior that's what fear is about beware of people who are trying to frighten you because they want to control you I don't want you to be frightened I want you to realize how safe you are that probably the most danger comes from being on the freeway. You do that pretty much every day. One of the reasons I moved to Maui, no freeways. <laughs> it's not a freeway. Oahu has a freeway, one freeway. But elsewhere in Hawaii, no freeways. I eliminated that danger. Also save a lot of gas money, too. Working from home, doing the Internet, that's not possible for a lot of us. So, we have to create an awareness. You can do it today as a result of listening to me carefully, doing the guided meditation that we're about to do, and then reflecting on this basic concept, confusion is not dangerous. Anxiety and worry and the fact that I feel frightened does not mean I'm in danger. 
In fact, it's very likely that I am not in danger, at least right here, right now. Notice how much of our fear of danger comes from our memory of the past and projecting that into the present moment. Well, what if that happened again? Well, what if, what if, what if, what if? What are you going to do with what if? You're just making stuff up. It's all invented. How much of your fear that challenges your sense of safety and personal security is extrapolated out of something that's not even here anymore? And then look to the future. How much of your fear comes from the future? More what ifs. Well, what if this happened? Well, we're connecting the past to the future, but we're ignoring the fact that right now, in the present moment, ah, you know, I'm not in any danger right now. Okay. Are you are you watching too much cable news? Are you afraid of the economic uh, situation that we find ourselves in? If so, take a slow, deep breath. Do it right now. Hold for a moment, uh, and then uh, as you exhale, just to slowly feel the letting go of your body, feeling safe and relaxed as you remind yourself, well, at least right now, right here, and the only thing that's real, this present moment in this present space, there is no danger. There's some confusion and anxiety and worry and nervousness and doubt and apprehension and stress, but that's all about my confusion. That's all self-replicating. Uh, that's a vicious cycle. But the assumption that therefore I'm in danger is an instinct that I've inherited from my ancestors that helped us survive much more dangerous times. The past, the far past, the ancient past. Uh, the degree to which we're civilized is clearly debatable, but nevertheless we are civilized to some extent, to some degree, and that means we're all pretty safe most of the time, 99% of the time, what are your numbers? And yet I bet you feel that you're not safe much more often than that. So the vast majority of the, of the time that we spend feeling unsafe, looking for security elsewhere, looking to hire somebody, a financial broker or a military guy to, you know, build a weapon to make me safe or to invest my money to make me safe is absurd. Only you can do that for you by saying right here, right now, I may be anxious and I may be confused, but I'm safe. And then breathe into that. The word, I'm going to repeat myself here, it's important, the word security in any context, is rooted in take care of yourself first so that you can help other people to feel safe. What's better than success? 
helping other people be successful. What's the best way to help other people be successful? Be successful yourself and then share that with other people. Same thing with safety. What's better than being safe? Helping other people feel safe. God, it's exquisite. And sometimes it's as simple as a reassuring word. I saw the flight crew. I bet you did too. They were interviewed every place. That that uh, flight that landed on the Hudson River a couple of weeks ago and nobody was killed and few people were injured. An airplane crashed on the river. Actually, the guy landed it pretty well. And he's been a hero and he's been interviewed everywhere and he was at Obama's uh, State of the Union message and Yet there's a story that stands out for me about several uh, people near the front of the airplane who were told by one particular stewardess, don't worry, we're going to be okay. And this one particular stewardess, there may have been others as well, but I just heard the stories of this one particular stew, this flight attendant, who made it a point to make good eye contact as the airplane is crashing making sure everybody's buckled in and they bend over into the crash position. And then she says to them, don't worry, we're going to be okay. And the passengers, many of them that heard that, believed her, or at least considered the possibility that maybe as a professional flight attendant, she knows what she's talking about. Maybe, just maybe, she's right. And for the moments they were thinking that, they felt safe. But moreover, were able as a consequence to take actions that helped them truly be more safe. And then were able to help other people to be more safe. You see, what we're talking about is a peace movement, an inner peace movement, a campaign that you can wage, to wage inner peace, to wage safety, to unleash on the world your experience of how to become personally safe and secure by, by bringing everything into the only thing that's real, the eternity of now, be here now. With the tip of that's ancient wisdom, but we'll give a tip of the hat to Ram Das for writing the book in the sixties, Be Here Now. Where? Right here. When? Now. Here now. What's the rest? To be. To exist in the moment. You see, part of the ageless wisdom is understanding that eternity is not this huge volume or expanse of time that we could never get our arms around or even our brains wrapped around. Eternity is too big. No, it's not. In fact, to the thinking woman and man who is awake and aware and alert, eternity is the size of a pinpoint. Eternity is an instant that never ends. It is this moment that continues to unfold. 
power in that. It's not just some philosophy that says um, the past is history and the future is a mystery. And the only thing that's real is, is the present. That's cute. You might find it on a greeting card. Uh, I like it. It's actually quite profound. The past is history. The future is a mystery. The present is where the presents are. <laughs> you can even play with the word present a little bit. But uh, anybody that's gone beyond philosophy 101 has some experience with contemplating and pondering the idea of the eternal instant, the moment that never ends. And it has a rhythm. It has an ebb and a flow. It, this never-ending moment has an in-breath and an out-breath. Sure, it has its peaks and its valleys. But the past is just a memory. It comes from your imagination. Uh, the future similarly, comes from your imagination. It's an anticipation of what might be. And ideally, it has many options and many roads that we could willfully follow. But you exist in reality in the safest place of all. You have personal security. When you breathe, relax, and find yourself in the present moment, right here, right now. The next concept, I think, besides being in the moment, is to take responsibility for your life. You'll find enormous security, personal security, in being responsible. That doesn't mean to take the blame for the situation that you're in. You may, uh, you may in fact, have created the best. And you look back and you say, yeah, boy, I, <clears throat> I can see how I really messed this up. I really created this situation. All right. But there are other circumstances and situations that you did not create, although you might say, you know, I, I did contribute to this. I could have seen it coming. In fact, I, 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 maybe you did see it coming, but you weren't sure what to do. And you sort of messed it up. The next time you'll learn and, and do better. But there are times, I suppose, when you did not create the mess you're in. And you didn't even really contribute to it. Or if you did, you unconsciously contributed to it. But others were co-contributing to it. You weren't in this all by yourself. No man is an island. So maybe there is such a thing as being a total victim. Maybe there is such a thing as being blindsided by the fates, by providence, in spite of your free will to do something about it. But I, there is the rub, don't you see? Whether you created the situation or simply contributed to the creation of the best you're in, or maybe you were blindsided and victimized by it. You can still, in every single one of those situations, be responsible. Responsibility is not self-blame. It's not switching from, it was your fault, to, I guess it's all my fault. <laughs> That's not taking responsibility. Responsibility is, I have the ability to choose my response. I, 
I can't control or influence the stimulus. What is the, the navigator, the sailor says, I, I, I cannot control the wind, but I can trim my sails. Or the surfer, I can't beat back the waves, but I can ride them into shore. I can surf it. You don't have to control what's done to you. If you can find control, opportunity to respond in choice. I have choices where? In how I look at it and how I respond. There is security there. There is personal safety in saying, I can't control the bull like the matador. He doesn't really take the bull by the horns, but I could step out of the way at the last minute. Good night. See, I could duck and dodge. And so I can't control what's been done to me, but I can control my point of view or attitude, and I can control my response. That ability is responsibility. I think of it as SPR. It's a nice little, it's the way I think of it anyway, SPR, Stimulus Perception Response. Stimulus, done to you by others. No control. Situations you just find yourself in. No control. It's already happened. It's in the past. No control. Stimulus. I can't help myself. What a what a mess. Maybe I created it. Maybe I contributed to it. Maybe I was victimized by it. But here I am. No control over the stimulus. Do you realize how much of your life you've spent trying to control what happens to you as if you could control the weather you can't dress for it <laughs> bring the sweater if you're not sure bring an umbrella just in case right your power is in your perception and response you don't you're not the dutch boy trying to hold back the dike here right your job is to stay balanced and centered, to anticipate to the best of your ability, but your power is right here, right now, not the past or the future, in looking at not what happened to me so much as now what? How do I look at this? My attitude, my point of view, my perception or perspective is a choice that I can make. How am I going to frame it? There is a choice. There is power, safety, and personal control. Personal security is in, I can choose how I look at this situation that's been done to me, that I find myself in. And in choosing from all of the options that I can dream up, all the variations and permutations that I could conceive, I get to choose the response and substitute that for what I used to do, which was the knee-jerk reaction, just freak out and run away from what I don't want. Now you get to run to what you do want. Does that make sense? There may be emergency situations in your life where, where, where the best thing to do is just jump up and run away from the danger or your perceived danger or avoiding what you don't want. But it's only it can, it can only be a temporary fix. Avoiding what you don't want 
or running away from something negative is not a goal. It's not a solution. You could run out of one problem right into another one, right? Out of the frying pan, into the fire. That's not a place to make important management decisions in your life. Instead, we have to, at some point, orient ourselves toward what we do want. And I suggest you begin with perception, point of view, perspective, attitude. This middle place between stimulus and response, between cause and effect. There's a middle. This is where the fulcrum goes. It makes a stick a lever. It's the middle where the power is. It's the point of management where you choose, how am I going to look at this? And now I get to choose my response. And I will substitute that lucid, cogent response and perspective and substitute that, I'll say it this way, substitute that even-tempered, well-reasoned response for the knee-jerk reactions that more often than not just made things worse. I jumped, I ran, I didn't know what else to do. I fought, I yelled, I screamed, I shouted, I hit, and I got away, but I'm still lost. In fact, I'm more lost now than ever because I just ran away from what I didn't want. Folks, that's nothing like moving toward what you do want. And that's power. And that's security. And that's real safety. Okay. When Richard Bach, in the book I mentioned at the top of this program, running from safety, when he talks about the need to take risks, that's a whole different concept. We do have to risk at times. We do have to see ourselves not as the one who's looking for comfort and and safety, but to find security in growth, in becoming a better problem solver. That's where security is. This is another way of looking at this. I'm not going to find security in trying to get to some safe place and then hold on because everything around me will change. I can't get to a place where there are no problems. It's impossible, at least for very long. You're a problem solver. You're an agent of change. Into your life, there will be challenges. There will be problems instead of trying to create some sense of external security so that you'll get all your ducks in a row and you'll never have a problem again is foolhardy. Instead, what Bach means in running from safety is move to the higher perspective and get the picture that ultimate safety comes from desiring to be a better problem solver, not trying to get to a comfortable place where you're safe and secure. Find real safety and security, dynamic personal security in your conscious development of an ability to be flexible, to learn, to grow, to change. There's another take on personal security. I'm getting better and better and better. Maybe one of you could write a follow-up book to be here now called Becoming Here Now. 
<laughs> I'm not a human being. I'm a human becoming here and now. Well, it's almost the top of the hour. Let's go to the board and look at your questions and your comments. And uh, it's interesting. I see more people. I, I don't know who you are. I don't know your names unless you enter a comment. I don't know your URLs or your email addresses or anything here. I just get a number of people that are coming in and leaving. It's really interesting. It's always sad to see the number go down, but then it comes up again. So it's amazing how many people come in during the middle of this. You're always welcome to the course of programs available on replay as well. So if you are listening, not on the telephone, that's always an option, but we have to keep you muted out. If you're on the web today and you're uh, with us live on the 21st, what am I saying, the 21st? Where did I get that? On the 1st, time flies, on, on, on <laughs> March 1st of 2009, and you're looking at the web page in front of you. Just put a question or a comment down there at the bottom. Include your name and the city where you are, first name anyway, and I'll be happy to answer any questions that you have. Okay. Be sure to hit the submit button when you're done, or I won't be able to see it. And we'll do a couple of these and a quick um, uh, visualization, guided imagery process to install the concept of security and self-care. And then we'll let you go here today. I really appreciate you being here. And reminder, we're here every Sunday at 1 o'clock West Coast time, 4 o'clock in the East. And if you're not, for some reason, getting the email reminder, just go to theagelesswisdom.com and right on the very first page you'll see a big square button that says free newsletter just leave me your name and your email address and we'll send out a newsletter every week and uh, you can manage that account you can unsubscribe easily with a link in every single newsletter you can change your name you can change your email address you can manage all of that from the link at the very bottom of every newsletter that you get. And your email is secure and safe. We don't list it or sell it uh, or give it away. It's absolutely secure. That's our privacy policy. So if you're not getting the newsletter and you want to receive it or someone you know, you want to turn them on to the newsletter that every week has the link to this webinar, just push that big button. Go to the ageless wisdom.com the w's dot the ageless wisdom dot com and the very first page that comes up click that big button that says Michael's free newsletter and all we need actually is a first name and an email address and we'll make sure you get on that email newsletter list okay so let's see who uh, is with us today who wants to say hi a lot of our friends are with us pretty much every week and getting the equivalent of a grad school credit here, I think, in philosophy. Robert Fiegel in Irvine, Southern California, says, Aloha, Michael. I remember all the way back to the KLOS days when you said that uh, the newspaper should not be the first thing you read in the morning due to the negative influence on your subconscious. What do you feel is the best way to stay up to date on the news without 
influencing our creative process in a negative way. Excellent class. As always, have a wonderful week, Robert. Well, thank you, Robert. I hope you have a wonderful week, and thanks for the nice compliment about how much you enjoy this, uh, this class, this webinar. Well, I think it's a matter of balance, like so many things, Robert. Um, you know, and not to allow yourself to be exposed to too much news, whether it's print media, newspaper, magazine. A few more years, there may not be any newspapers at the rate they're closing down. People aren't reading. They're getting most of their news from television and increasingly from the Internet. Now, television has always had news all the way back to the inception of commercial TV in the early 50s. I remember Douglas Edwards on Channel 2, even before Walter Cronkite, right? And they always had guys sitting there reading the news once or twice a day. Now we have 24-hour cable news. And their job is to whip up a frenzy. (laughs) It's like Penny Chesky's Network. And if you haven't seen that film, Network, in a long time, you know, I'm bad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. That's a wonderful movie to rent uh, uh, from Netflix or Blockbuster or however you rent your DVDs or download them, uh, Apple TV, whatever. Get Network and watch it again. You'll be amazed. I mean, Paddy Chasky 30 years ago anticipated Fox News and the impact it's had on NBC and MS. NBC, Microsoft and NBC together, doing Keith Oberman and Chris Matthews and Rachel Maddow. What in the world is going on? And, of course, for every Keith Oberman and Chris Matthews and Rachel Maddow, you've got over on Fox, Sean Hannity, Bill O'Reilly, and (laughs) some of these guys, Glenn Beck. I mean, it's just too much to imagine. this isn't news, like Chasky predicted in Network. This is really entertainment television disguised as news. Hence John Stewart. How many young people get their news from The Daily Show with John Stewart, which is fake news, <laughs> a parody of news? Or stay in touch with current events by watching Jay Leno's monologue or David Letterman's opening monologue. It's just amazing. So, I think as long as you account for the source, and keep in mind, if you're watching news on Fox, it's going to have a heavy right-wing bias. If you're watching news on MSNBC, it's going to likely have a left-wing bias, unless it's Morning Joe that you watch. Um, And then you account for that. The best thing I can tell you in response to your question, Robert, is look for diverse and antagonistic sources of news, not the one credible source that you can always rely on. The only person you should be relying on for news is yourself and your conscious, mindful interpretation of what you're reading, considering the source. And in that way, look for diverse and antagonistic sources. Watch a little bit of Fox News. Watch a little bit of MSNBC. Read a mainstream newspaper. Read a mainstream magazine. But look at who the advertisers are. 
right? Consider the source. Consider their reputation. Is there attribution? Is it just some talking head saying this is so? Or if it's really news, it's always going to contain an attribution, according to the Associated Press. And they have a news story that says, well, according to this government official or this spokesman or this chief of police said or this public information officer, look for attribution and look for diverse and antagonistic sources. Rather than trying to find one objective source of news and settle in on that, it's just like religion. Why are we here? Because we don't want to settle for just one crystallized, dogmatic religion. We'd rather, in a comparative sense, look at all spiritual philosophy. But that's what we do here. We honor and respect all of the religious traditions to whatever degree they merit our respect, but it's a harmonious and inclusive overview of spiritual philosophies that gets us excited. That's why you're here. And the same thing with the news. Okay, I think that escapes a lot of really smart people. I know that you probably already know this. You've been listening to me forever in the day, but that's the key phrase. Teach it to your friends. Diverse and antagonistic. I'm not looking for the one right source of news. That would be too depressing. But if I find diverse and antagonistic sources, if I find a news story that says things are getting better in Iraq, and another news story that says things are getting worse in Iraq, then I'm the one that figures out where the truth lies. Somewhere in the middle, but is it on the 10-yard line? Is it on the other guy's 20-yard line? Is it on the 50-yard Where Where in the middle do I find the truth? And you'll do that only by reading diverse and antagonistic sources of information for news and for metaphysics and spirituality as well. <coughs> Excuse me. And thank you for that, Robert. I'm of Las Vegas. Greg Simonian is with us again this week. Greg, it's always nice to hear from you. He says thanks again. Lorelai in Tucson. Aloha, Michael. She says, it seems like there is a big conspiracy by powers that be to take away our freedom and control our lives. Hasn't there always been or haven't there always been people throughout history who try to find their personal security by controlling others through fear? The only way they will ever succeed is if we give them our permission to control our life. They will never get anybody's consent or permission. This is why I believe that they'll never succeed, and our divine destiny will be fulfilled. Great class. Michael, you make my week again. Peace and love to you. And Doreen, I'll pass it on to Doreen. Well, thanks, Lorelei. Uh I generally agree with everything you're saying here. I think if I were to expand on one point, you're saying there have always been people through history who try to find their security by controlling others through fear. I think that's absolutely true. I would just comment that there are also people who use fear to scare other people, not so much so that they feel safe, but to control 
those other people. I think that's an even more frightening, dangerous, and even more dangerous use of fear. Is not just so you can feel safe by frightening other people, so that, but, but rather so that you can control and manage other people by frightening them. And that's what we see increasingly in corporations. You know, that, not more than 20 years ago, the average executive made 30 to 35 times the salary of the average worker. Now, that's a lot of money to make 30 times more than the people who are getting their hands dirty, okay, because you use your brains and they use their back. All right, fine. But today, it's 450 times the amount of money that the worker makes. And they're not going to give that up. Executives who make $10 billion a year, it used to be if you made a million in your life, you were a millionaire. <laughs> you know, now these hedge fund guys take home bonuses at the end of the year of $15 billion. And that was just the bonus. And there are people that make even more than that. $30 million in a year. Well, they're not earning that money. There's nothing you can do that could earn you tens of millions of dollars in a year. You know, a million dollar a month? Come on. They're not earning it. They're stealing it. <laughs> you can see what happened. A lot of that money was earned. A lot of that money was stolen. And they're using fear in a variety of ways not just to make themselves feel safe, but as a kind of power, as a way of of stealing, right? And so to frighten somebody and say, you don't have the capacity to support yourself once you hit 65. You'll be doomed. Nobody will want to hire you, and you can't support yourself, so you better give that money to us, and we'll invest it for you. We'll probably invest it in bombs and guns and weapons, or uh, we'll invest it in chemicals that poison the environment, but you get a real good return. So the hell with your children and their children and their children's children. At least you'll get a good return now. Well, fear can be consciously used in a search for power. Um, could somebody use it to try to make themselves feel safe? Well, even then it's misapplication. That's your point. But consider that it even goes beyond that. Well, here's an old friend who lives out here in the middle of the pond uh, in Honolulu. We're hearing from Bert. Hello, Bert. Nice to hear from you. He says, Aloha, Michael. I feel safer just knowing that you're continuing your good work. Well, thanks for that, Bert. And uh, I don't think I've talked to you since uh, I arrived in Hawaii, but nice to hear from you, and thanks for being with us today. Here's a comment from somebody who, uh, well, they didn't enter a name but uh, or a city, but uh, we appreciate their question. If a difficult person insults you, is it better to, one, stand up for yourself and be assertive, or two, to ignore it and know that their insult is more a reflection of their inner turmoil than it is or, or instead of a reflection of you. I think both of those are good. I don't mean to be a smart-outy like the 
answer is both, but it really is. I would err on the side of leading with number two. To whatever extent you can remind yourself, that's projection. You know, even school children know it takes one to know one. You know that aphorism, takes one to know one? Well, how would you know? Or sticks and stones, you know, I'm rubber and you're glue. <laughs> you know, takes one to know one. I know you are, what am I? That was the other one. I know you are, what am I? School children have this down. And then we get older and we start taking those insults on. We we wrongly accept ownership of the way we feel when somebody insults us. Or it's just, maybe it's not a deliberate insult. A lot of what hurts us is just inconsiderate, not well thought out. And some of it's unavoidable, I suppose. Even in the best of relationships, we hurt each other because, you know, what do you got? Language. That's all you got. Verbal language, body language, tone of voice, facial expression, movement. We're, we're pretty new as a species here. We're just learning to communicate. It may be that whales and dolphins are better at communicating than we are. They certainly do it over longer distances. And yet, having said that, there is a time to stand up for yourself. Uh, I think it's the way in which you stand up for yourself. Uh, you can be assertive, that's your word, without being aggressive. And so, you know, what do you mean by standing up for yourself? It could be, well, I hear that that's the way you feel. I disagree. I don't see myself in that way. You might want to rethink that. Um, in fact, it might be standing up for yourself might be, ow, that really hurts. You know, I find that insulting. I don't know what you're trying to accomplish. But whatever your strategy, it's going to require a presence of mind that is central to this whole class today on personal security. Uh, you can't need them to provide safety or even acceptance, you see, much less admiration. You've got to provide that. The way to wean ourselves from relying on other people, needing other people to accept us and love us, is to be emotionally independent rather than codependent, depending upon others and trying to earn from them through a performance a sense that it's now okay you put it up for a vote, your identity. Uh, and it's now okay to accept yourself because all these other people have voted yay in favor of you. No, no. Instead, do something rare and unusual, which is appoint yourself the chairman of the board of you. And you get to listen to other people. You're interested in their input. But by golly, you are the sole determiner at, at the end of the day. You're the one that decides, I'm okay at this. I like my penchant for that. I, I'm proud of my affiliation in this area. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm consciously choosing my values and my ethics, regardless of what you might think. All right. So if you have that consciousness, then you can do both of those things. Um, know that that insult, even if it clearly was intended, usually does say more about the other person than you. It's called projection in psychology. 
but also know that there are times that you could, you know, very sweetly and gently assert yourself and stand up. Sometimes nothing needs to be said. It's better not to say anything. Sometimes you do want to stand up for yourself. Just do it in a gentle way, in an enlightened way, demonstrating your personal security, our theme for the day. And then they're less likely to come back with round three, and then you don't have to return with round four and get into that upward spiral or that downward spiral um, that ends up uh, being hurtful argument. It just makes things worse. Paula in New York City says, Hola, Michael. And uh, she says, I want to share three quotes on perception, the power of choice and creation. I uh, hope you enjoy. Thank you always for all that you are and all that you share. Paula's uh, first quote is from Wayne Dyer. She said, or he said, uh, when you, and by the way, uh, I haven't run into him over here, but I'm, I've heard that Wayne Dyer lives on Maui too, along with Rob Doss. Pretty good place for people thinking along these lines. She said, Wayne Dyer said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yeah, very nice. And another quote by a Werner Heisenberg, what happens depends on our way of observing it or on the fact that we observe it. Yes, that's, that's also true. We see that now in physics 60 or 70 years ago, the so-called observer effect that the effect that consciousness has on subatomic particles that you cannot observe at the subatomic level. You cannot observe something without influencing it. You cannot subtract consciousness observation from the incident itself. There is no objectivity, in other words. Everything is everything. It's all hooked up. These are very good quotes. And Paula also says that Deepak Chopra has a quote, you and I are essentially infinite choice makers. In every moment of our existence, we are in the field of all possibilities. Linda Taggart does that blog, living in the field. That's what he says. We are in that field of possibilities where we have access to an infinity of choices. And there's that magical word again, choice. I'll add to that, Paula. One of my favorite quotes along these lines by, well, I've seen it attributed to Anis Nin, the, uh, the artist from the 1930s and 40s. Um, and yet I've also heard that it's found in Jewish uh, uh, mysticism, either the Book of Splendors, the Zohar, it might be in the Torah, but whoever gets credit for it, the old rabbis or Anis Nin, the line is, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. Yeah, very true. Let's go to uh, Cerritos in Southern California. Kareem is with us. Michael, aloha. He says, I want to know how to get the family learning our program. Sounds like a very good deal. And I know it's true that we are usually safe in the moment, even in Iraq at times, but we all know that can change suddenly, and it's hard to balance common sense and anticipation of what could happen with relaxing or preventing constant worry or panic. It is. That's the challenge. 
that's the challenge. And the cause and effect and the stimulus response and the us or them and all of those dichotomies, it's really a challenge constantly as thinking people to find the middle between perception and response. But, or, I'm sorry, I misspoke that. Between stimulus and response is a point of management called perception or point of view. That's where the power is. That's where the choice is. Between what's been done with me and what I do with it. Between cause and effect. Between you or me, us or them, right or wrong. All of that. There's always a middle. And that's the heart and soul of mysticism. And that's where the essence of metaphysics is. It's always in the middle. So either ors are resolved with an and. This and that. To equal degree, rarely. To varying degrees, ah, that's the deal. To varying degrees, everything, every concept has some degree of merit. <coughs> that's not easy to concede when we're emotionally worked up. Let's do a quick visualization process just to install this, okay? Close your eyes, take a nice slow deep breath, provided this is a good time for you. And as you exhale, soften. Go limp like a rag doll. You might want to pump up those pillows and rearrange your body in the chair, the pillow you're sitting on, the sofa, whatever. Get comfortable. Get balanced and relax. Create a softening in the muscles of your body from head to toe. Feel the letting go as if you were a stick of butter on a warm day, softening. Feeling safe and relaxed. Reminding yourself that right here and right now, in this present moment, you're so safe that you're able to close your eyes. You're so safe right now that you can take a nice, slow, deep breath. And after holding for a moment, ah, and feel so alive because you feel so safe. That instead of reacting to life, which is what people who desire to control you want, you are going to substitute even-tempered and well-reasoned responses to life. You get to make choices. How many choices do you have? In how I look at it, how many choices in my point of view between stimulus and response is my attitude, my perspective, my point of view. I, I can't control what's been done to me. It's too late to try to influence that. So let's breathe and relax and think about the real world, the situation in which we find ourselves, and ask, how many choices do I have? What are my choices and how I frame this? What's my attitude or point of view going to be? Which one of these 
in my best interest and even more for the greater good of all concerned. Let's find that middle point between stimulus and response, that point of management, that point of power. I will choose my point of view and perspective. My attitude is mine to select. And then you go even further to choosing a response. If we were in real danger, it would have been chosen for us, a a reaction, a a knee-jerk reflex. Fight or flight kicks in, that amygdala fires off in your brain, and you immediately fight or run or freeze like a deer in the headlights or sometimes just faint and pass out. But no, not now, not this time. I'm going to substitute, because the danger's not real. It's just confusion and anxiety. I'm going to substitute an even-tempered, well-reasoned response for this knee-jerk reaction that often has just taken me over. Sometimes okay, sometimes made things a lot worse. I will choose. Not the stimulus that's already been done to me. I can't do anything with that. But if it's raining, I can put up an umbrella. If it's cold, I can put on a jacket. So here I am. I'm in this situation. I will choose how I look at it and what I do with it. And I will find my safety and my personal security in my mind and my heart. And in a few moments, open my eyes, come back into the world, and move in that direction. Coming from safety out into the world, helping other people feel safe. Coming from success out into the world, helping other people be successful. The most urgent question, according to Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., is always, What are you doing for other people? Make them feel safe. Feel safe so that you can help others feel safe from the inside out. It's not controlling events and circumstances out here that trickle down and help us feel safe. It's feeling safe in this way, in this place that we then radiate out into the world. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. Now, reorient yourself to the sound of my voice. Tell yourself these ideas will be easy to remember and to access later in the day, today, and tomorrow. You'll think about them some more. You might even replay this program. You might even forward it to a friend to help them feel safe and to find their personal security. Take a slow breath. Hold. And as you exhale slowly, now, open your eyes, wide awake, alert, refreshed, and rested, back in the room, feeling fine. And thanks very much for being with us. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Join us next week.